for recurring revenue product or predictable online revenue product, you've got to have uh, a marketing flywheel that keeps spinning and keeps working, right? You're not doing, if you're, if you're doing a course launch, then you've got to do, um, you know, smart marketing spin that gets one end result and that's great. And people buy your course at the launch. Awesome. Perfect. Well done. But for something like a membership site or a subscription product, you need uh, more people coming on board at any given time than are leaving your site or churning. Um, otherwise, you have a really big problem. That's kind of the beginning of the end is when that churn number overtakes new member percentage. You're listening to Amanda Northcutt, our featured guest on today's episode of the podcast. If you're someone who's ever thought about starting an online membership or subscription business, or if you already have one up and running, you're absolutely going to love this episode. You see, Amanda is a revenue funnel strategist for online recurring revenue businesses such as membership, subscription, and online course websites. She's a self-proclaimed strategy geek and specializes in helping entrepreneurs and business owners get from where they are now to where they want to be. Amanda generously shares many of the tips, processes, and strategies she's learned over her 10-plus year career in the recurring revenue space. She'll help you take a bird's eye view of your business and goals and bring them down to a practical and actionable level. So if you've ever wondered what it actually takes to plan, start, build, and grow a successful membership or subscription business, this episode is for you. In our conversation, we explore some of the most critical topics to entrepreneurs in the recurring revenue space, like member onboarding, engagement tracking, and retention tips, how to replicate your sales process that you use to go through in person with people for your online business, specific ways to decrease churn, increase lifetime customer value, and get more members, and so much more. We cover a lot of ground in this episode and explore many topics that are critical for you to both understand and implement. To help you keep track of everything, we created a companion guide for this episode, which goes into even greater detail about the systems and processes we address today. After you listen to this episode, you can head over to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 124 and download the companion guide. We're so grateful to Amanda for coming on the show and sharing so willingly from her knowledge and expertise. So without further ado, let's get to it. As always, I'm your host, Eric Turnison, and this is episode 124 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric, thank you so much for having me today. I'm glad to be here. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, before we get started in our conversation, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, definitely. So um, kind of at the heart of it, I am a revenue funnel strategist for recurring revenue online businesses like membership, subscription, and uh, even some course providers I can help out as well. And um, yeah, I am a total strategy geek. I, I can nerd out on kind of the bird's eye view of a business and take that all the way down to um, you know, strategy formation and down to a tactical level as well, kind of the individual steps on what needs to be done to take someone from where they are now to where they want to be. How did you get into that? By accident. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So back in 2006, I think, um, I had a friend uh, at the time who was running a uh, collegiate fan membership site. And they were really, really small, just kind of starting out. I mean, the early 2000s, uh, they started out as a uh, like by mail 
uh, newsletter update. Like people would sign up, pay their money per month, and receive an actual newsletter in the mail. So this is kind of the uh, very beginning of what memberships look like. And then that morphed to an online platform, and they needed a director of sales. And so I had um, a good bit of sales experience under my belt at that point and was able to come in and uh, help them go from, you know, sub six figure ARR. I mean, we're talking teeny tiny startup to um, an eight figure valuation by the time I left nine years later. And so kind of got my business chops with my feet held to the fire and, you know, it's a lot of trial and error. Um, So I uh, took a break for a couple of years, had kind of a health crisis and had to step back from my career there. So I resigned. And um, after kind of getting through that health crisis, I started, um, I actually joined my partner, uh, Travis, who is also my husband, uh, with his membership consultancy, Member Up. And I've kind of since taken the reins on that. And we help typically existing high-touch service firms create uh, like a secondary revenue stream, like a membership, subscription, course, workshops, things like that. Um, And we also help optimize existing recurring revenue, you know, digital products as well. Awesome. So in this current consulting business that you're running, who are the top recurring groups of people that you end up seeing coming to you and asking uh, about your services? Yeah. So the last couple of years, uh, the majority of our clients have been those eight-figure professional service firms like consultancies who have a tried and true process that they are taking their one-on-one clients through. And they come to us because uh, it's attractive to start a recurring revenue business model that's a lower touch. So moving from the one-to-one model to the one-to-many model, um, or again, you know, not necessarily making a full transition, but maybe this is their first foray into digital products and they need help um, planning and laying a foundation for a scalable membership or a subscription product uh, where they can kind of package up their high-touch service you know, and reach their target audience on a larger level. And so that ends up being um, maybe clients who cannot afford their primary service offering. That's the high touch service or those who aren't quite sure or the, the DIYer. Um, so we help come in and ensure that they have an excellent plan in place and uh, kind of beginning with the end in mind of what they want this digital product to do for them and their business, what their level of involvement um, can be on an ongoing basis, what kind of resources they have to spin this thing up. Uh, So we come in and kind of analyze, again, where they're at, where they want to go, what are the known blockers preventing you from getting there on your own. Uh, We come in, we knock those blockers down and help, again, just lay that foundation and help people avoid problems um, later on in their membership, especially with their tech stack, seems to be an enormous hurdle to overcome uh, when starting a digital product. And then, of course, the higher level strategy from uh, first encounter with a customer, the very beginning of the customer journey with the, the first touch of marketing all the way through, okay, please keep paying us month after month and year after year. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. And I really appreciate you doing a really good job at outlining the entire episode (laughs) because I want to talk about all of those things. Each one of those is really intriguing. And it's interesting that you're mostly working with larger established businesses. And we have a lot of people who come to us who are in that camp, but also who are just getting started. 
But I think in a way, whether you're starting and you have an existing customer base or whether you're starting from scratch or just an idea, there are a large set of challenges and things that both parties are going to face in trying to get the digital side of things off the ground. Mm -hmm. And so I think it can be helpful to pe for people to get that high level picture and understand the reality of the journey and maybe gets a little bit of um, foresight into what the kinds of things they might run into and experience. So maybe let's just take um, one of these journeys. You know, somebody comes to you, they want to create this digital product. What are the first few steps that you go through in terms of making that into a reality? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first things we want to learn about are what do you, what process do you have in place that you can scale? So do you have the content foundation? Can you take um, a customer of yours or a prospective customer, identify the problem that they have and how you can solve it? You know, what, what problem, think about like a Venn diagram. So you've got your prospective customers and your left circle and on the right is um, problems that you can solve. And so you want to look at that, the crossover there, where do the two circles cross? And then you've kind of got your solution. So what is that solution? How are you providing it now? How do you envision providing that at scale um, on an ongoing basis? So we kind of want to get an idea of where everybody's at in terms of content foundation. Uh, that's really, really pivotal, obviously, right? Because uh, that's what's going to draw people into um, a digital product is you got to sell the, sell the outcome of the service that you're providing through the content, right? It is very pivotal. But, but what's interesting is most people actually don't think about it. I find, especially beginners, they come and say, oh, I want a membership site or a recurring business because, hey, the money's good. Mm -hmm. And then they they start looking at how to implement it before they think about what they're actually going to offer mm -hmm. to their customers. Can you talk a little bit about when you said do it at scale, what you mean by that? What types of things would be effective at scaling and what types of things wouldn't? Yeah, for sure. So if you are a uh, fundraising consultant, you help you sell coaching services and maybe you have a conference every year and you are teaching fundraisers at universities and across nonprofits how to fundraise better. So you probably have system framework methodology for how you take one client from, again, where they are right now to where they want to be. And if you can take that process, if you have it written down, it's kind of almost like standard operating procedures. So if you... Uh, if you've hired another coach or a consultant to work under you and help your clients, you've probably had to train and onboard them. And uh, maybe through that process is born uh, your standard operating procedures, you know, the questions, the questions that you ask, the things that you do for a client from A to Z. So if you have that kind of documentation or if you can come up with that documentation, you have a process, okay? You have a repeatable process. And on that one-to-one -one model, you are... Um, Again, spending a lot of time with that individual fundraiser, say that you are helping. Um, and so the one to many model or taking that high touch model and scaling it, uh, you want to be able to turn that process that you use on a one to one basis into sort of a formulaic um, system almost for how you can take someone from beginning to end in sort of a more generic way than your one-on-one -on -one process provides. But uh, is there a way that you can take the service that you're doing every day with people one-on-one -on -one and making it scalable? So what parts of that process are um, sort of generic and not 
mold it up tightly for your one individual client, but how much of that information can a number of people benefit from? Like, how can you take this that you're doing one-to-one and make it generic so that if anybody, any of your ideal customers, um, you know, reading this and going through this process, they're going to be able to achieve desired results through that more generic content. Yeah, makes sense. So basically what you're talking about is there's somebody who is spending their time with a client on a one-on-one basis, and maybe that process takes, let's say, four hours. Mm -hmm. So naturally, if you continue in that way, you're capped in terms of your scalability, in terms of how many hours that person has in a day to be able to work with clients. Mm -hmm. So you're going to break down what they do and see if you can um, make it accessible to a larger group of people. And that's going to come out in the form of, after this brainstorming process, the form of an outline or something like that. When you get that, are there ways that you then start thinking about, okay, how do we actually implement this? What does this look like? Is is this a quiz? Is this... Um, is this a course? Is this a set of questionnaires? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So um, first, we've got to yeah figure out what kind of content you can deliver. So maybe you have an evergreen base of content, and maybe that's all you have. So you have this one system methodology. Uh, you don't want to provide support to a community on an ongoing basis. You don't want to develop new um content. You don't kind of want to manage that ongoing overhead, but you want to have this packaged up evergreen content that you can sell over and over again to say your email list. Um, and so I'm going to say, Hey, sounds like a course or, or, you know, paid workshop or paid evergreen webinars or something like that. That's going to be the way to go. If you want kind of a one and done thing, we'll put the uh, automated infrastructure in place with your marketing and lead nurture um, and help people, you know, decide if they want to go the one-on-one high-touch coaching consulting route with you, or if they want to try out or instead do this paid, you know, one-off course webinar series or workshop. Um, So that's, yeah, that's kind of the next question is helping people understand what their inputs are going to be on an ongoing basis with each type of digital product uh, and then going from there. So uh, paid workshop or paid course, those are really great ways to start. And um, a lot of the times we feel like I have a number of clients who said, hey, I've developed six courses in the last 24 months. I'm totally burnt out. Can you help me package this up into a membership? And so they have this great library of content uh, from which to start the membership. So a lot of the times that's the journey, right? Maybe the the consultant has a paid workshop on a one topic or on six different topics. And then once they've validated um, that those are good things to sell because people are buying them, they may take that information and package it up into a course or, uh, and that could be a no touch or a kind of mid-level touch where you're working with a small group or a cohort and you're taking them through this course and there's some coaching element to it. Um, And then from there, maybe they want to go more the recurring revenue model or more predictable recurring revenue model where you're kind of wrapping that content up into a subscription or a membership. But if you want to do that, you have to understand the implications uh, of what is required of you and a recurring revenue model. (laughs) So for memberships, you know, there's some additional elements in there, right? You've got to have uh, your marketing flywheel working, right? You got to figure out. 
how can I bring in leads on a consistent or qualified leads consistently, right? So what channels do I use? How much does that cost? How am I going to nurture those leads and, you know, convert them into paying customers? How do I onboard them so they have, they recognize value most quickly on my site and don't, you know, churn sub 30 days or something like that? How do I track engagement? How do I create content on an ongoing basis? What kind of content does my audience want? Do I want to manage a community? How am I going to manage customer service? How am I going to manage my finances and KPIs and, you know, my my entire reporting suite? Um, So if you can get past that hurdle and kind of come up with a plan for the ongoing inputs, then, you know, membership or subscription product might be great for you. Yeah. And just can you define what you mean when you say input. Yeah. So things that are required of a human person, right? The, the right. resources that are required of you, the business owner on an ongoing basis to uh, make the membership product actually succeed. Right. Now, everything that you just went through, I mean, you, you talking about your marketing flywheel, onboard and recognize value, uh, tracking engagement, content creation, customer service, the list goes on and on. When I set out to um, do member mouse early on, I knew absolutely none of these things mm-hmm. that they would be coming down the pipe. And in some ways, I think that that was a benefit because if you're listening, if somebody's listening to you say all these things and they're just looking to get started, I imagine them sitting in a lecture hall in a, in a college and like taking notes and be like, oh my God, oh my God. How am I going to, what? I have no idea. I thought I was just going to create a membership site. And now what is all this stuff? Mm -hmm. And um, that's good. I think that's good because um, I think when people think about starting these membership businesses or subscription businesses, they, some people may feel like it's a get it up and then forget about it type of situation. Mm -hmm. And like you were talking about, there are some strategies you can do to kind of kind of get there. I mean, I don't think you can ever fully get there um, and not do anything after the fact, but there are different models where if you're just selling a one-time purchase course and everything, you kind of like automate your funnels, your email marketing, your onboarding sequences, et cetera. It can be a very light to low touch situation for mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. And then as you're ramping things up and you're if you truly want that recurring revenue, there has to be an exchange. And people talk a lot about subscription and recurring revenue as something they want, but I don't think on the other hand, they see what it actually takes to maintain and um, sustain a recurring revenue business. Because it's, you know, if you just say, oh, here's a here's something that I produce and then don't do anything with, you're going to, people are going to be dropping off after they've uh, consumed your content. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's not really a recurring revenue business. It's basically, if your average retention is three months, it's basically one-time purchase projects, products spread over three months. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So of these areas, the, the marketing flywheel, onboarding, uh, tracking engagement, which one are you most interested in right now in terms of going into and exploring? You know, I think that the revenue funnels, probably the marketing sales and retention funnels, but they all really work together, right? So this is sure. kind of the, the eight system framework from which I consult, right? So I've 
after doing this for years, realized, oh, this is what I'm doing. And I finally put it to paper. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, these are the these are the systems. This is the process that I'm, I'm taking people through. And um, all of what you're just saying in the last couple of minutes lines up perfectly with this. So the retention funnel success is largely dependent upon your ability to accurately set expectations and then deliver on set expectations and then occasionally delight your customers. So I'm really big on the concept of under promise over deliver, but obviously you have to promise enough to get someone to um, trust you enough to hand over their credit card information. Right. And this promise and the, and the expectation setting is happening in the sales materials, in the email, um, email lists uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. Usually the membership site owner entrepreneur is the subject matter expert on whatever they are teaching. Okay. So again, we'll, we'll use the example of the fundraising coach. They're the su- subject matter expert on how to bring money in the door for nonprofits and universities and the like. Um, what they are not experts on is like the the revenue funnel part of it and um, kind of the other little bits and pieces that you have to marry with the subject matter expertise. And so um, the marketing piece is typically a, a, a really, really big one, the marketing and the sales piece. And a lot of people are very uncomfortable in, um, in those roles and find themselves uh, kind of as an accidental salesperson or marketer. And it's not someone that, not something that most people set out to do, especially those who are starting membership sites. Um, So I try and help people start again at the very beginning. What problems can you solve? What problems do your customers need solved? You know, where's the overlap? Like what outcomes can you provide to your customers? And then we kind of reverse engineer their revenue funnels from there. So starting with marketing, um, kind of make your best most educated guess on where your ideal customer profile or target market lives and then start running a series of um, tests, you know, defined time frame, spend and all that and see what actually converts well, right? So with your marketing for membership sites, I typically encourage people to just try and get people on their email list. That's, that's what the marketing piece is. So find your ideal or define your ideal customer profile, find out where they live and then figure out what it takes to get them. Um, and when I, when I say where they live, I don't mean their house, I mean online. So their online community forums, blogs, and like who are other influencers that your target market listens to um, and figure out what it takes to get them from there uh, to your email list. And then uh, once they're on your email list, you need to do some automated nurturing, right? So you're not Nobody has time to call all of their their entire email list and their leads and stuff. So, um, you know, we use ConvertKit, for instance, and that's great. They can, uh, I can get somebody on my email list from a Facebook ad, and they download my you know membership marketing ebook, and then they're automatically in my nurture funnel. And uh, the nurture nurture funnel, which I actually kind of explain in detail on one of my podcasts and also on one of the articles I wrote for you guys. I'm sure you guys will link to those, but so you can find out kind of more in depth how to put together a nurture sequence. But basically you want to uh, explain the features inside your membership. So behind the, the paywall as benefits to your prospective customer. And you want to take kind of the most popular features that your best users identify as their favorite things inside of your membership site turn that language around into uh, the benefits received if you use this feature and put together nurture email sequences that feature one 
feature per email. And then you want to include things like social proof in those nurture emails. And hopefully you've got a sequence of five to seven nurture emails that somebody gets after they download your lead magnet and then um, convert to a paying customer. And then, you know, you switch from lead nurture to onboarding. And on, onboarding is so pivotal. So now that somebody's inside, you want to get them to value recognition as fast as possible. <laughs> and so now that they know the benefits they can receive from the features inside your membership, the onboarding is teaching them how to actually recognize and uh, achieve those promised benefits. Does that make sense? Yes. And I want to ask a couple questions about these things. So with regards to the first one and getting um, the strategy of getting them on your email list. So your marketing activities is basically in the beginning anyway, to focus getting people to subscribe to something that's a, a, a small ask of them. Mm-hmm. They're not paying you anything. So you you identify at that step. Part of it is having a lead magnet. Do you have a bullet point set of things that you like to see included in lead magnets to to make it more likely that people are going to jump on your list? Mm. Um, I don't have a bullet pointed list, but the way I kind of try and help clients formulate these things is what's the top problem you can help your customers solve? And can you distill that into something that is small, digestible, attractive, and enticing um, and call that your lead magnet. So whether that's a top 10 list or something more in depth, like a white paper, um, or it's a webinar, uh, webinars convert amazingly. Those are really, really great right now. Um, and, and so figuring out how to package up the solution without giving away the whole farm, right? You want something or lots of amazing things left in your digital product that people get after they give you their hard-earned money. Um, but you have to definitely give away a lot of the goods in the lead magnet. You want to establish trust and you want to make it clear that you you know, you've got the goods, right? You are solving the problem that they have. You understand their problem. You understand them. Um, and whatever your lead magnet says, I mean, the person reading it should feel like, oh my gosh, they're talking to me. Um, yeah. So no, I don't, I don't have a, a, a checklist like that, but just try and kind of distill that down. Got it. But basically there's something, there's something that you're offering to them as a result of signing up for your list, which could be some sort of digital download, uh, a webinar, some other form, but generally speaking, it sounds like this would be an evergreen asset. Yes. Evergreen is important for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then as far as onboarding, you talk about how it's super important that they get to uh, value recognition um, very quickly. This is something that we at Member Mouse are very familiar with because basically if somebody says they are interested in using the software, there's a big difference between someone being, even if they're willing to take out their card and sign up for the free trial, there's a big difference between that and people who are actually going to end up using it. Basically, the way that we look at it is the sooner that we could get someone to the point where they feel like they've accomplished something with the software, the more likely they are going to be sticking with us. Yeah. Um, because basically, if somebody paid you or they are basically committing to pay you in one form or another, they need to understand close to immediately that they made the right decision. Otherwise, at some point, they're going to just have buyer's remorse and just cancel or, or do something like that. Mm-hmm. So do you have 
probably some generic tips in terms of uh, value recognition, in terms of how to present that to people and get get it in front of them. Sure. Yeah, that all goes back to understanding um, in great detail the problem that you solve for people or problems. Hopefully, if you're running a membership or a subscription, there's going to be it's going to be kind of multifaceted problem solving. So. Um, understanding your customers, understanding exactly who they are, um, being able to speak almost in their voice. So mastering your customer's voice is super important. And again, going back to knowing the problem that you solve and then in the marketing, you've said, here's how we solve those inside the membership or kind of, again, explaining those features as the outcomes that your member will receive once they're on the inside. And then I almost want to take that like email nurture sequence and flip it over like a look at it in the mirror. And so one side of the mirror, you've got the uh, marketing on the other side is onboarding. So the onboarding has to mimic the marketing. The onboarding stuff should not be a surprise um, because your new member or customer should know exactly what to expect because you've done your due diligence and proper expectation setting within the marketing. Um, Again, selling features as benefits. And then now they're over here in the onboarding and you're telling them probably in order of importance how to start solving Uh, the problems you told them that they could solve and the outcomes that they could receive in your marketing. So if you know that the most important thing a new member can do or or the biggest indicator of retention is participating in your discussion forum really early on in your onboarding, you're going to want to make it super easy for someone to jump in and introduce themselves and start talking to other members. Um, And that kind of goes to another system like community management. This is an aside, but you want to make sure that your community is really welcoming, open, doesn't use words like noob, you know, for people who are just joining. But you have a community of adults who are invested in each other's success, have each other's backs. And then, of course, you want to have moderators and things like that. But okay, so. Or if you know that, you know, starting a specific course is kind of a key retention behavior, um, you want to point people towards starting that course very early on or consuming XYZ pieces of content. So you have to know how your current members are using and getting the most benefit from your site and then turn that around and use that information and social proof in your marketing and then onboarding. And it sounds like they're very action oriented. Yes, Definitely. I mean, you've got to get people to get invested and spend time on and spend time with you. This this makes me think of gamification, you mm-hmm. know, because I see in 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 a lot of onboarding things, you know, people have like setup wizards or mm-hmm. um, other things where it's like, oh, you get ba- these badges or these points if you do th- things. Now, have you used that for clients of yours or seen it used? And do you think that the effect of just having action based guidance, where you oh go do this, here's the benefit if you couple that with gamification, do you think that it actually improves people's interaction? You know, I feel like the answer is it completely depends on who you're teaching and what you're teaching them. Some people are going to think that's overdone, hokey, um, kind of icky feeling almost like I'm going to, you know, think about how adults learn (laughs) if you are targeting adults for your membership site, which probably most of you are. Um, you know, if we are intrinsically motivated to try and achieve these outcomes that we came to you, membership, subscription, course provider to solve, you know, we're going to go and do the work as long as you tell us how to do it. Um, and the community component, I think, is pretty big there, too. So if you have a community, you're probably less um, 
maybe the, the need for gamification is less. However, if the way I've seen gamification really successfully implemented is on um, music instruction membership sites. If you're learning piano, yeah. guitar, violin, whatever, gamification does tend to be really effective in, in that area. Um, I have not seen it widely successfully implemented in any other industry, at least that comes to the top of my head. Yeah, that makes sense. So one pattern through what we're talking about here is that there's a lot more planning and forethought that happens prior to implementation in all of these stages, which I think often can be overlooked and people just want to just start implementing right away. Um, And then maybe too late, they realize that that was a bad decision. And one of these areas is you're talking about the importance of learning the customer's voice. And I know for me personally, this was a challenge. You know, you talk about subject matter experts. I wasn't necessarily teaching something, but there was a piece of software. So the focus on was writing the software and not marketing the software. And it's interesting to me to reflect on it because I could get on a phone call with somebody one-on-one all day long, and it would always be a good conversation. It would always convert, quote unquote, in the way that I would anticipate it would. But then if you ask me to basically kind of chunk that down and and kind of break it up into a system, something within my mind just doesn't know what to do with that. I can have a conversation with somebody, but if you ask me, how do I make this into a process that can be implemented through technology? It's like uh, smoke starts coming out of my ears. I have no way, no idea how to approach that. How do you break down those sales commerce, specifically the sales conversation and turn that into your onboarding sequences and your the email list, uh, opt-ins, and stuff like that. Talking to current members all the time, so important. So having a kind of a feedback loop, basically. So you have current customer surveys, exit surveys, your discussion forum. Um, you need to know who your most engaged members are and be uh, talking to them frequently and putting the most stock in what they are saying as far as the value that they're recognizing. So you have to understand what they're saying and who they are exactly. If you have not come up with that ideal customer profile and you can just Google how to put together an ideal customer profile and you'll get tons of great results on how to do that. Um, you want to be able to speak in their voice. And if you're just starting this process one great uh, thing that you can do is called review mining. And that's where you would go maybe to Amazon and look at books who have been written on your um, industry topic, whatever it is, or whatever your membership is going to focus on or subscription product and go in and just read reviews. Um, what are your customers saying about how, about what they learned from this resource? What was missing? What did they enjoy the most? Uh, what criticism do they have? And so hearing those things and kind of forming your um, marketing and lead nurture toward those things. So if you know that your ideal customer profile has this one specific problem and nobody else is solving that problem, nobody's scratching that itch for them, you can take that customer voice and uh, kind of work that into your marketing and lead nurture messaging in a way that says, hey, I understand who you are. I understand the problem that you have. And I've solved that problem for however many people are within your membership site. So I've got a tried and true method for figuring this out. And I've got a community of people over here for you who are in the same boat. And here's how they are solving this problem. Here are the resources and the assets that I have, you know, behind the paywall uh, that are going to benefit you tremendously. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. 
you talked about tracking engagement and um, the value of tracking engagement is of course that with that data and analytics, you can then make strategic decisions to address some of the things that you don't want to have happen, like people uh, canceling or increasing your lifetime customer value, selling different products. Are there techniques that you have, specific techniques that you have for how you track engagement and what specifically you're looking at? Yeah, definitely. So I think what it really comes down to is are people logging into your membership site or not? I mean, that is the biggest indicator of um, whether or not someone is going to churn. Like, do they need some TLC and do you need to send this group a re-engagement sequence to try and kind of bring them back into the fold of value recognition and your membership site? And, or do you also have a group of people that I call power users who are, who have been with you the longest or spending the most money with you, most active on your discussion forums, they send referrals to your site. Um, and, and what else can you sell to them? So if you know who are the most and least engaged people on your site, so starting with your membership plugin on top of your, you know, WordPress site, for instance, you know, I know I've got, I know Member Mouse has some capabilities that can track things like that. So starting there and seeing what your membership plugin provides for you, but knowing how, um, often people should be logging into your site and that varies across the board. There's not any sort of cut and dry. If people aren't logging in every 72 hours, they're going to cancel. That's just not true. That doesn't translate. So you need to know how often your power users are logging in and how they're engaging with your site. Again, by looking at login data specifically, and then also surveying people and then segmenting based them, segmenting them based on survey results um, is really, really pivotal. We all know it costs exponentially more to acquire a new customer than it does to retain an old one. Um, and you have to keep your ear to the ground, keep a tight pulse on your site, who's doing what, who needs what um, on an ongoing basis in order to kind of achieve that uh, predictable recurring revenue model. Right. And I'm, I imagine that uh, tracking or engagement can also inform, you know, you mentioned, you know, you may end up sending out different sequences to people who are your least and most active. But I imagine it can also inform your content strategy because mm-hmm. you may see, oh, you know, a month two or, you know, people start dropping off. Why is that? Uh, where What's my content look like at that point? Is there enough for them to engage with? Are they, you know, are they losing interest? Mm-hmm. Or on the flip side of that, are they completely overwhelmed? <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> yeah. um, again, that's that goes back to knowing your audience, talking to people, serving people, being active in your discussion forum community. Um, and one great uh, retention tactic that I've seen employed on multiple membership sites that seems to be really good is sending out a weekly or twice monthly or once a month email that says, hey, here's what's going on in the discussion forum. Here's what content we put out. Here's the results some of our members are getting and tease what's coming up next. Um, And especially in your onboarding sequence, I think it's really important to tease future or uh, yeah, onboarding to tease future content, especially if you know people, um, you know, there's an exit ramp at the end of the 30 day trial. A lot of people jump off there. So you've got to tease future content to keep them or to get that first payment recognized. And then you go from there, obviously. Yeah. So in your space, because you obviously have a lot of experience in this and you've been doing it a while. So I'm always interested in, in when people have been doing things for a while, you know, I end up asking you basic questions because I'm new to certain things. From your perspective where you're at, what are the things that you're excited about 
getting into more and the the things that really excite you in projects? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I am a maximizer on like the Strengths Finder 2.0 profile. I think that thing came out maybe 10 or 12 years ago or something. My number one thing on there is a maximizer. So I love to help people um, maximize their I mean, lives, honestly. So I'm working with people who are lifestyle entrepreneurs and people who are building big businesses and have, um, you know, an exit strategy uh, plan that they would love to carry out and cash out and retire, um, have those, you know, all, all sorts of different types of people. So anybody comes to me, um, whatever their situation, whatever their long-term goals are, I want to help them maximize whatever they can do. And so typically with these online or digital products that is uh, maximizing revenue, right? Obviously. And so I really love the puzzle of marketing sales and retention. I love looking at the bird's eye view. And again, that future state versus desired or current state versus desired future state, breaking that down into pieces and, you know, talking to their customers, learning more about them, understanding uh, what they get the most from whatever this digital product is, and then helping them reverse engineer the uh, lead generation, the marketing piece, the and then the lead nurture to try and get the sales, you know, conversion to a sale, and then the onboarding to get people the value recognition and uh, retention long-term. So I, I love helping people really lay the foundation for a new digital product or optimize um, an existing product to help people reach their goals. That's really what keeps me going is I just, I love, love helping people who, who want to help other people. That's really awesome. And it's so, so you're basically, you're keeping the end goal in mind at the same time, you're visualizing, you're looking at the current state of things through whatever's available to you, uh, engagement stats, analytics, other things, talking to customers. So you have your inputs and then you ask yourself, okay, how do we get from here to there? Are we on track? If so, okay, fine. If not, what can we change? And it seems like there's a lot of different names that you give to it. There's onboarding, there's uh, the marketing flywheel, there's the nurture sequence. But it seems like the, the, the thing that relates all these things together, and there's all these different tools that you can use, but it seems like you're just, you're trying to communicate with people effectively. Yeah. I feel that, you know, people treat you the way that you teach them to treat you. And so everything comes back to proper expectation setting. Um, and then that under promise over deliver model, and then aiming to delight your customers on top of that. And it simplifies it to say, okay, we're just trying to communicate with people. And I think it it's helpful to keep that in mind. But then as soon as you start to ask, okay, well, how do I communicate with people effectively? That's where I think your experience really comes in because how you communicate about what type of thing through what channel and at what time, <laughs> that's where your the experience really comes into play. And I think when you're just fiddling around at the beginning, you're trying to get answers to those questions. And the only real way to do it is to trial and error. And, and uh, it takes a long time to get a kind of feel for that. Yeah. I like that summary. So recently you did a, a series of articles on membermouse.com um, relating to revenue generating activities. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of gets into, again, talking about what your main interest is, you know, current state of things, future goal, 
right? So if we're trying to get to a future revenue goal, the revenue generating activities become key levers that you want to play with and make sure you understand what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So can we talk about a few of these? Yeah. And um, it seems like uh, at the top of the list, if you want to increase profit, you're looking at decreasing churn, increasing lifetime customer value, and then getting more members in general. Mm -hmm. How do you approach decreasing churn? Yeah. So first you have to, I think, understand the different types of churn. Um, And we can kind of break those down into two big buckets. It's voluntary and involuntary churn. And so involuntary churn is when someone's credit card payment fails, they accidentally cancel that way. Um, So having systems in place to like a Dunning service, I know Member Mouse has some built-in capabilities here to help with failed payment recovery. Uh, Churnbuster and ProfitWell's Retain product are um, the ones that I really like to recommend. Uh, But if you're membership plugin has that built in by, by all means use that because you're already paying for it. Um, so understanding what involuntary churn is and that that is, that accounts for a significant percentage of churn on all recurring revenue sites, right? SaaS subscriptions and memberships without question. Uh, and then the, the other piece of that is the voluntary churn. So that's after you bring on hopefully a, um, qualified member who is you know, ripe for achieving that power user status, but they become unengaged over time and then eventually cancel. So you've got to go back to the engagement tracking piece of that and nip that in the bud before it happens. So you have to preempt the voluntary churn or at least attempt to by knowing who your most and least engaged members are and then having that uh, re-engagement email sequence that you can kick off to those least engaged members to again, try and bring them back into the fold of value recognition on your site. Um, so that is super key. And then also sending out that regular email where you're telling people what's going on, what you've missed, successful members, and then what's coming up, um, around the bend. I think that's super, super important. So that's kind of the two sides of churn and, and generally broad overview, like what to do about them. Awesome. And what about increasing lifetime customer value? Yeah. So obviously, uh, churn reduction goes right in line with that, right? So if people are churning and leaving your site before kind of your uh, best case scenario, lifetime value, obviously everybody cancels at some point. Nobody's actually going to stay on forever and ever, but understanding kind of what's ideal or optimal there and shooting for that by setting those expectations from the very beginning, that first marketing interaction that a prospective member has with you and then setting proper expectations through your sales efforts and uh, lead nurture sequence and onboarding. And so that's the idea is like beginning with the end in mind, getting the right people on the bus. So you want to get the the people whose problem you can solve on your site in the first place and then under promise over deliver, deliver and delight those customers so that naturally they are less inclined to churn and therefore more inclined to uh, provide referrals and testimonials and all those great things. Um, So yeah, term reduction, huge piece of maximizing customer lifetime value. But then the other piece of that, pretty simply put, is making sure that you are offering appropriate upsell opportunities to your most engaged power users. So whether that be um, private coaching or a higher membership tier uh, with whatever you know additional benefits you can provide, um, just making sure that you have those offers available and are giving or, and are making the offer to the right person at the right time. Awesome. 
And the third one, getting more members, and of course, all of these lead into each other, right? Yeah. So decreasing churn increases LCV, which in turn gets you more members. But uh, um, I imagine there's another side of getting more members where it's just purely new members. Yeah. I mean, the that's this is a hard, hard thing, right? So for recurring revenue product or predictable online revenue product, you've got to have uh, a marketing flywheel that keeps spinning and keeps working, right? You're not doing, if you're, if you're doing a course launch, then you've got to do, um, you know, smart marketing spend that gets one end result and that's great. And people buy your course at the launch. Awesome. Perfect. Well done. But for something like a membership site or a subscription product, you need uh, more people coming on board at any given time than are leaving your site or churning. Um, otherwise, you have a really big problem. That's kind of the beginning of the end is when that churn number overtakes new member percentage. So um, yeah, so I'll, I'll offer this. If you guys want to put a link in the show notes to my, um, I just released a book at the beginning of 2019. It's just like a 12,000 word ebook. It's not um, something too difficult to digest. If I try and break down like the top uh, marketing channels for anybody looking to start a recurring revenue business online. Um, and, and the idea here is like we go back to middle school science or elementary science and we're doing a scientific test, just like at the science fair. You have um, a hypothesis and parameters and then you assess your results. And so what I encourage people to do is run however many tests it takes on any or all of these top 21 channels and figure out after running test after test after test, two to four viable channels, right? So maybe that is Facebook, evergreen webinars, and you, oh, I don't know, speak at a conference once a year. And that's kind of the marketing mix that you need to keep that marketing flywheel running and new leads coming in the door uh, to take your lead magnet and receive your lead nurture sequence. But it's really just about taking that scientific method and applying it in a really simple way. I don't want to like intimidate anyone, but uh, you do have to be willing to look at the numbers and try different things um, to, to get that continued or continuous lead flow, essentially. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, we'll definitely share that uh, URL for people in the show notes so they can grab that uh, ebook. Thanks for offering that. Mm -hmm. So we've gone through a lot of things. And and I think if somebody's just getting started, it's possible that they might feel a little overwhelmed mm -hmm. by all the stuff that goes into running uh, these types of businesses. And for those types of people who may be at the beginning, what are the best things to focus on when just getting started, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. uh, I think looking kind of where you have a head start. So what content do you have? Have you turned your process or subject matter expertise into, have you put it to paper, basically? Have you have you typed it up? Have you um, spoken at conferences? Have you held workshops? Like, what do you, what existing assets do you have? And what problem do you solve for people? That's kind of step one. Where's my head start? And number two, um, where's my head start with an audience? Does my audience exist in one particular place? Do I have an existing email list that centers around one particular topic? Um, so figuring out where you can kind of get a step ahead and you're not starting from, uh, you know, ground zero, at, you know, where can you get just a little bit ahead. So this is a less daunting task. And then from there, um, thinking about, again, going back to 
choosing which type of digital product you might start with creating? How can you start? What's your MVP of that, right? The minimum viable product. Is that a two-hour workshop that you charge your audience, you know, $97 to attend, and that leads into maybe a webinar series or a course or your membership um, and understanding kind of what is required to run each of those types of businesses and have those kinds of digital products and know what you are willing to do on an ongoing basis or not. Um, So yeah, I think just having a gut check, right, with yourself, like, where do I have a head start? What can I do? Do I want to do a one-off thing? Um, what's the least I can put into this to start out to uh, validate my idea? And you know, what am I willing to do moving forward? Yeah, that's great. And then I don't know if this is something to be recommended, but it, it was certainly what happened in my situation. I think when I started Member Mouse, it was pretty much following that, what you just outlined. And then of course, all those other things when it was time for them, it, they pretty much let me know that it was time for them. You know, it's mm. like, oh, we're having an issue with this. So, you know, it was a little bit more reactive probably than it should have been. Mm-hmm. But organic growth can get you there. Um, it's obviously if somebody has the benefit of knowing somebody like you and can work with you. I mean, hey, that's great. Yeah. I would have loved to have had somebody like you around in the beginning. But yeah, you know, but also just taking one step at a time can get you there as well. And it's just useful to know that all of these things are part of running a business and know that they're there, keep them in mind, make sure you stay on track and you're paying attention, having those conversations with customers, your ear to the ground, because from, from what I'm hearing you saying, those stats and that engagement with the community is essentially your indicator for what to do for how to respond to keep on track with your goals, mm-hmm. to know where things are working, where things aren't working. And then it just how you implement that and execute to address those issues goes into all these different strategies that you mentioned throughout the call. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. And I, I want to add really quickly that this is an overwhelming amount of it's a huge checklist of things to do to run a digital recurring revenue product. I mean, it's, it's a behemoth at times, but... There are so many efficiencies uh, to be implemented, right? Efficiency, automation, standard operating procedures, process documents. There's so many places where you can automate with technology and you need a decision-making framework for how you're going to choose technology and stuff like that. Like don't just buy things up willy-nilly. But um, again, if you kind of have a goal in mind and you know where you're headed, then you can make a decision-making framework on how to um, employ technology uh, when you need to hire a VA or a bookkeeper or community manager or more people to help with content. Um, and that's a, so I did three articles for you guys and the second and third ones are all about um, like process documents, automations, how to make, how to run a more efficient membership site, basically by implementing this methodology that I've developed. And I'm sure you guys will link to that too. If you, anyone listening is interested in going into that in more detail, but um, just, just know that there are lots of people thinking about how to do uh, this recurring revenue thing um, better and more efficiently. And there's lots of great tools available to help make that a reality so you don't lose your mind trying to run one of these things. Exactly. And that is certainly one of the benefits of these days is there are so many tools available. I mean, when I do my books each month and I look at our operating costs, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous how, how little it takes to run a company. I mean, you have all these tools that you're using Mm -hmm. and they have a cost associated with them, but 
in the days where we didn't have these things, I mean, it, it would have been much higher of, of a cost. Probably it would have taken a human resource exactly. to cover some of them mm-hmm. or multiple human resources. Yes. So, I mean, just look at uh, Dunning alone, mm-hmm. right? Like that, you, you didn't have an automated way to do that. You would have a two-person staff manually reaching out to customers, mm-hmm. you know, and the effectiveness of that is naturally going to be lower. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's there are so many things available to help us. But yeah, it, it's definitely a journey. So, you know, everybody should just, um, like you say, know where you have your head start. Start there and, uh, you know, one foot after the other and uh, just keep going. As we're wrapping up here, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think would be valuable to mention? No, I think we've pretty well covered the gamut here on the revenue generating activities. And then I would definitely encourage anybody who is interested in learning more about efficiencies and process documents and um, automations and all that stuff to go read those articles I wrote for you guys where I kind of explain my process and how to do that and when that's appropriate and how to evaluate, again, making that decision making framework for um, adding automations and technology and things like that. Yeah, of course. Um, Highly recommend people go look at those and we'll put those in the show notes. And where else can our listeners uh, learn more about you? So uh, my consultancy is memberup.co and you can grab, um, again, that marketing ebook on that site and that'll lead you into kind of a revenue generating and churn reduction course, just a quick email course, and you can get in touch with me contact form there, but I'm also just Amanda at memberup.co. Email is for sure the best way to get in touch. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking the time. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Many thanks to Amanda for coming on the show and going into so much detail about the different strategies and approaches you can use to start, build, and grow a successful online membership business. I sincerely hope you enjoyed and benefited from our conversation. For complete show notes, a transcript, and links to all the resources we mentioned in today's episode, head over to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 124. There you'll also find links to Amanda's three-part guest post series on our blog and a downloadable companion guide. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more interviews with successful entrepreneurs, please subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. Coming up next on the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast, we talk with an entrepreneur named Jordan Lehman. Jordan started a really unique membership business a few years ago, and in many ways is in uncharted territory. I don't want to spoil too much of the surprise, but just know you don't want to miss our conversation. So we'll see you next time.